0: Hello and welcome to Let's Be Honest. I'm Jess and this is the podcast where I talk about life's toughest topics with lots of different brilliant people. Today's episode is called Let's Talk About the Holocaust. I'll be joined by 96-year-old Hungarian native and Holocaust survivor, Henry Friedman. I will also be joined by Rabbi Prass, the director of the Weinberg Center for Holocaust Education at the Bremen Museum in Atlanta. In today's conversation, we discuss Henry's experience of being in the forced labor camps as his family were exiled to Auschwitz under the Nazi regime in 1930s Germany. As Henry's delicate breathing accompanies our conversation on whether he thinks people are ultimately good or bad, how he has managed to forgive those who fought to oppress him, and how now, at 96 years old, he has found peace. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Henry, for being a part of this. Welcome to you and to Rabbi Prass. Thank you for your time. And this is just such an honor to me to meet you. I watched your video, Bearing Witness, that you were a part of, and I was very moved. So thank you so much for being here. I can't wait to hear your story and be a part of this conversation. Rabbi Prass, will you just tell us about how you know Henry and and what you do over at the museum?
1: Happy to. The Bremen Museum, is dedicated to telling the stories of the Holocaust from the Jewish perspective. Mm -hmm. What we seek to do is shine a light on the resourcefulness of the Jewish stories, resistance that Jews put forth during the Holocaust, how Jews rescued each other from moment to moment, from day to day, Mm -hmm. and of course, most importantly, the resilience of the human spirit after the Holocaust. And so at the Bremen Museum, we have a group of survivors who tell the story from Poland to France to Romania to Hungary and tell each and every different aspect of the story. And so we know Henry uh, because he has shared his story so wonderfully with so many thousands and thousands of people at the museum. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know him especially well because of his uh, wonderful sense of humor, his kind heart. Mm-hmm. And so he is a, uh, especially loved in telling his story around the museum.
0: That's amazing, and how did you guys meet and get connected?
1: So Henry had been telling the story for for quite a while. I've been at the museum for for several years, but uh, Henry's history with the museum um, goes very far back. It takes a uh, a very special person who can tell this kind of story that you're gonna hear today. And so Henry has been telling the story for quite a while. We at the museum produced a film so that uh, the the task and the, and the weight of telling the story for each and every survivor is a little easier. In this way, that the, story, uh, the film can tell the story for Henry. Mm. It is a film of Henry, interviewed and with some, some background video. Um, yeah. But then Henry is always there to answer the questions, to share his personal recollections beyond that. So yeah. uh, um, he's, he's a special person at our museum.
0: I'm learning that. I've only been around Henry for 10 minutes and I already can tell how amazing you are. How important is it for you to tell your story, Henry?
2: It's very, very important because mm-hmm. uh, people forget so easy what happened. Mm. And uh, all the trauma and tribulation what but, but, but being a Jew who went through it's, uh, it's very important to to, to be remembered. Yes. They say we are the chosen people. Mm-hmm. Chosen for what? Chosen for suffering. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's very important for me because it's uh, so many things happened in my lifetime, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know why. But for some reason, Passover stands out in my lifetime because everything, a bad thing it happened. Around Passover, mm. like it was a old story that uh, the Jews during Passover, when they make the muscles, and they try to kill them by a gentle girl and put the blood in the, in the muscle. I mean that went through for years and years, mm-hmm. and uh, like I said, persecution stand out in my lifetime mm. for years and years and years maybe for generations
0: wow so I want to hear about your, your whole life story what was life for you like as a young child what What can you remember about your family and your childhood
2: as I'm getting older the memories kind of fading I don't remember too many things do
0: you and remember when you first went into the was it the army when you were 21
2: forced labour
0: mm-hmm. yes that's Force,
2: correct yeah, yeah forced labour and uh, like I said that That was a very, very big change in my lifetime, Mm -hmm. the army. For some reason, I don't know why, but I feel so fortunate Mm -hmm. that someone, somebody was always watching over me, Mm -hmm. like when people were taking concentration camp Mm -hmm. in different places. Somebody showed up. I don't know if if you remember if you with a neighbor, Raoul Wallenberg, mm, yes. a Swedish diplomat. Mm-hmm. He showed up from nowhere. Wow. And, uh, and I wind up in Budapest. Mm-hmm. Budapest was the only place where Jews survived. And like I said, all my life, somebody was watching over me.
0: Do you, I know that your grandmother um, arranged to have a blessing for you from the right. rabbi. How pivotal do you think that moment was for, as you say, you know something or somebody watching over you for the rest of your life
2: that was everything for me mm. like i said, she was she went to, to religion mm. but she was a very very spiritual mm. and she, she believed that, uh, that i had to be saved mm. and she went all all the way all around to save me
0: so when you were you know forced into the forced labor force what was that like for you were you were you scared were you anxious how did you feel in that moment where you knew that that was going to be your imminent future
2: when I was on fourth labor like I said outside people was dying like flies you know? mm. but for some reason I have always always very comfortable because like I said that I don't if I talk to it to myself that I don't have to worry about someone watching over over me and I think that's what my grandmother
0: Mm -hmm. yeah I to me when I watched your your movie bearing witness that to me was one of the most moving parts that you know your your grandmother had arranged this and listening to your story you know which we're going to go into and I know rabbi press will help us you know lead through that um, chronologically that to me it felt like you kept encountering these things and having these near escapes you know as I said we'll go into details but there's many moments where you know for example when you were going to go to the safe house and you didn't end up going and then it you know you found out whether it was a couple of days later that it wouldn't have been a safe place for you after all like all these near misses you know do you credit that to some something and somebody watching over you just constantly being preserved
2: exactly like I said not for one second I had to be concerned mm because I feel like somebody was watching with me that's all amazing the time, all yeah. the time. like I said uh, I cannot explain it mm-hmm. I cannot explain to you the the feeling
0: would you would you describe that as as having faith
2: exactly mm-hmm. exactly
0: just just then the not knowing what's going to come but knowing yeah. That you will have peace and be protected.
2: Exactly. Wow.
0: Well, your life is definitely a, a testimony to that. Right. That's amazing.
2: Right. It's uh, always very cautious. Try to prepare, prepare myself. Mm. Try to be frugal mm-hmm.
0: and look out
2: for to for tomorrow.
0: Mm-hmm. In the movie, you mentioned the quote from Eleanor Roosevelt. The quote that says, "You know, yesterday is history."
2: Today, tomorrow, to,
0: tomorrow. is a mystery, and today is a gift. That's right. That's right. Do you still right. feel that quote sums up your life today?
2: I feel. I feel a hundred percent. We don't have uh, control what's mm-hmm. going on, but yeah, I, I do believe that.
0: That's amazing, Rabbi. Will you walk us through some of the chronological? Um, moments in Henry's life because I think his story is so important. It's so important that it's told, and I'd love to be able to to go through that.
1: Well, I think one of the the misconceptions is that there is one type of Holocaust survivor mm. that survivors went through one type of experience, and I think Henry shows that there's so many different things. So if I can turn it back to Henry for a moment, yeah, uh, Henry. Tell us a little bit about the city that you grew up in and what your father did and, and what your mother did, if I can zero in on that a little bit. So, so first of all, the city you were from. The, the city was
2: a very transitional. Hungarian, Romanian, German. Actually, had three different names. Because different countries were constantly That's taking a, it over. A, called Grossverdain, Medivarod. Oradia, that Romanian, Hungarian,
1: German. And so with that city that you were in, first of all, what did your dad do? He was an insurance broker, and he was a very unusual.
2: Being an insurance broker, his main thing that he had to be among people. I mean, that's how he made his living. Every morning, a young man on a bicycle, he came and shaved him every morning. Then he went to the cafe and uh, kibbising, that's how he made his living, selling insurance policies. And then about one o'clock he came home, the whole family sat together, we had lunch, he laid down, at three o'clock he went back to the cafe house to to sell insurance policy. That's how he made his living. And it was a very unusual, but a very, very comfortable, a very comfortable life.
1: And religiously, of course, tell us a little bit about what your religious life was like so we can put that in the context of, of the Holocaust. My grandmother made
2: her rest in peace. She was quite
1: religious and
2: she begged us, please don't mix up the dishes, keep everything kosher. Keep the house of the kosher. if we have to eat pork, eat it on a, on a paper, but not not mess up the, the dishes and we, we observed the passover and the other different holidays they during the Passover. we didn't eat no unforbi- forbidden food like bread or what leavened food. so we observed the Passover
1: so for your grandmother the the dietary laws and the holiday observances That's were right. very important it was very important
2: i don't know much she, she wasn't with that religious but she was a wonderful person mm. and i think she had two or three husbands who died they died they died, died and she not adopted but took over the husband's children and oh. raised them just like their own. And later on, when I got older, I found out that they, they were real blood relations, but grandmother
1: raised them just like they would be their own. Wow. So by extension, you had a very large and extended family. Right. Uh, maybe we'll circle back to that when we talk about how many of this large and extended family actually survived. Mm. But I want to finish a little more with, before the war comes to you, let's talk about your education. Did you finish high school? I finished high school. And then, did you go on to college? I had some part of college and went to trade school. The Nazis invaded. You're drafted into the army. All Right. And you see a sign that says, volunteers with mechanical background needed
2: exactly they was looking for an individual with mechanical background and I volunteered and I was sent to Budapest in a very very big factory to be sent to forced labor or different places somehow always I reinvented myself
0: what was your experience in the factory like I know from, from the film there was a lot of people that were working there is that right
2: It is was a, tremendous big factory Mm. and it was a factory manufactured airplanes manufactured uh, canned goods wow it was a tremendous Mm -hmm. big place
0: and was it operated by Nazi regime and and you had an encounter with was it a captain that you had an encounter with
2: lined up every day somebody approached me and said you Jew Star of David Mm
1: -hmm. was loose Mm. It was beaten up and taken to the office. First, we have to circle back for one moment because we said you were drafted, but you weren't drafted into the army as a regular soldier, as exactly. a Jew, correct? Exactly. W- w- why not? You're drafted, but you're a Jew, so you're not allowed to carry a gun. Help us a little bit, help help us understand that. It's every day it gets a little bit more and more shady. Shady. Today. But the Jews weren't, the Jews were required to help in the war effort, but they weren't considered soldiers. Is that correct? And no soldiers, no guns.
2: And uh, we were marching, I don't know, every day marching back and forth to the workforce. or main thing, what we had to dig, we had to dig a uh, tank, uh, big holes, so with the anim- enemy coming, big holes were camouflaged, and an enemy tank would
1: fall in the, in the hole. Not to be able to to go through, or whatever the, the, the large trenches. That so if the tanks were coming in from the uh, from the enemy. So in this capacity and being part of the the army and yet being forced labor, there is the factory that you're in, and one of the supervisors had these anti-Semitic ideas himself. Not right. necessarily a, a Nazi soldier himself, but that this was a a supervisor. Right. And he singled you out as a Jew, and he had a he had a pipe, and I know that he took particular joy in beating you. Exactly. Do you, can you recall any of those the, the beating that, that he gave to you that one particular time, and, and how you what was your physical condition after that? My left
2: left ear doesn't function as well as my right. So he ordered me in his office. I was taken. Forceful at his office. He was bidding me for for, for no reason. And like I said, he, like a smirk on his face, he
1: enjoyed He enjoyed bidding me. And did they offer you medical care after that? I don't think so. No. I, 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 I don't recall it. I don't recall it. So this was the kind of life you had. Were you Paid for the work you did in this factory? No, 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 no. I don't know. once a
2: time I was in Budapest, in Budapest, which is uh, the capital, and uh, there's a Budapest like a two city, Buda in one side, divided by the Danube River, and the, the other part is Pest. And uh, somehow I wind up in Buda, which suffered at least one or two months longer than than Pest. Pest was liberated before. Uh, and was walking with the Germans, captured the kept, captain. Kept and I got a very, very vivid recollection about that. It was very, very cold. And uh, we got up every night and uh, st- taking hot food to the front line where the Germans was facing the Russians. And every midnight, the loudspeaker blurred. He put down your arms. It, it was directed to the soldiers, that German soldiers, put down, you are, you are surrounded, you don't have to die, put down put down your arms. And, and, and me, as a Jew,
1: we were in between the Russians and the Germans. So you, what you're remembering, I remember this story very well, is what, after the factory that you were in had been bombed, yeah. that you had been reassigned as this forced laborer attached to the army, that you were then on the front with the Russians approaching from one side, right? Working with uh, being assigned to some Hungarian soldiers the the German soldiers in in the conflict, and that as they're approaching, the the Russians were blaring these sounds to try and say surrender, surrender, surrender. That's right. And even then, though, you were forced to continue working. It was working, but some I don't remember.
2: That I was working so hard. <laughs> somehow, uh, mm-hmm. that, that that part is is kind of out of question. That somehow I was able to survive. Mm. And they, one, they, they, I they remember that they, when the Russian came in, the, when the, the Russian came in, the Russian were Mongols, like a short stature Mongolian. Only thing what I remember that they, they was drinking day and night, they, day and night. <laughs> Trying to stay warm. Not only that that, 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 and before they drink something, I have to taste it. That it it's not poisoned.
0: Oh wow!
1: <laughs> you were expendable for them, is is what they thought. But I mean, that I enjoyed. Now let's talk about one other person, if we could. You met a very famous. Swedish diplomat. Raoul Wallenberg. Raoul Wallenberg. What did that encounter do for you and your chance of survival? Did you actually meet Mr. Wallenberg? Or was it one of his, his uh, helpers, one of his emissaries? I went to his office. He sat at his desk and,
2: uh, what can you do for me? And I don't remember what. But for that moment, everything kind of changed. Everything became much easier for me. But somehow, I feel like that a big. Someone was looking for me all the time. I didn't have to think about nothing, and like I said, Raoul Wallenberg was sent to help me out, mm. and it. I wound up in a big factory in Budapest, and uh, everything changed for the
1: best, because Raoul Wallenberg was very famous for. Issuing a Swedish Stutzpass, a, right. a, a, a visa, a right. visa that was yes. saying that the person holding this was designated and destined to emigrate to Sweden. That, that's right. There was no way you were going to be able to, but this that's was right. a piece of paper that, when the Germans would see you, yes. this offered an element of protection. Which was, which was very, very, very temporary.
2: Hmm. Which became very temporary, in the German. Didn't want to recognize after,
1: yeah. but you did actually receive the paperwork. I received the paperwork. Okay. Did That's you feel
0: relieved when you got what? it? What did you feel relieved <laughs> when you got that Swedish paperwork?
2: Exactly. Mm. Exactly. it was kind of hard because everybody who was around me mm-hmm. was started to wash, wash clothes, read it. To, to travel because we, we are, because we are saved.
0: Mm. Yeah, that must have been a really relieving moment.
2: Exactly that, but
0: I don't remember what happened uh, mm-hmm. The story that you were just telling about when you were running the hot food up to the front line was that the story where you were having to go up the mountain. Right. So I know you talked about. You got injured when you were up there and you made it to a civilian hospital. Right,
2: right, right.
0: How did you actually get away to be able to go to the hospital? Do you remember how that happened?
2: It was a tap on the mountain and I was tumbling, rolling down. I was able to walk because mine, mine I was losing blood, blood very, very fast.
0: What was the injury? How did you get hurt?
2: My, my thigh, my, my leg, my leg, and I was going for food. I was hit by shrapnel, and wow. and I was was not able to walk. I had a belt, and I tied the belt on my thigh, very tight, mm. slowed down the blood.
0: So you were able to get away because you were going to get... Hot food as a part of the job, anyway. But yeah. then you were just able to escape, and you found this civilian hospital.
2: Right, right. And right.
0: when you went to the hospital, were the people who you met were they helpful, or did you did you have to struggle to get help? Or
2: I had to struggle because, like I said, they were afraid. They did. They didn't want to harbor harbor and you because every every body will be shot.
0: That's so terrible that people have to worry about not being able to help another human being.
2: Right. Yeah.
0: And were you able? I remember you said something about you were able to hide, and and you were able to get somewhere inside the hostel. Is that correct? Or did you end up getting help, or you had to just be turned away?
2: I I was turned away in the beginning, but someone helped me eventually.
0: Yeah, and that's another you know point in the story where you know these angels of, of such keep popping up, and and when you need help, you know here are these these people. So what happened after you injured your leg? Do you remember what came next after you went through that experience?
2: I don't remember. I, I, I don't remember. Like, But so somehow I survived. If I wouldn't survive, I wouldn't be here. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, it's kind of... The, the details are very, very fuzzy for me. Of course. But like I said, the bottom line is... That I'm We're
0: grateful for that. That's for sure.
1: <laughs> and Henry, well, actually, that that shrapnel may have actually saved you because, as I recall, wasn't that in the final two weeks of the of the war that actually you, when you when you did finally receive the help, right. um, I know when we've spoken before that it was about two weeks later that you really gained your senses back. And who's standing over you? But I believe a Russian. The Russians had come through. The Germans had retreated. And basically, you were free at that point. That's right. The the, the, uh, the Russians were moving through, um, and you no longer had to be forced labor. You could finally be a free person in some ways. But yeah, yes and no. I know, okay. Yeah,
2: yeah, yes and no, because uh, in between, it was very, very dangerous when one power leaves and the other one comes. It's a big, big vacuum. And somehow I had to survive that that vacuum to stay, to stay afloat. And like I said, I don't want to think about it because the whole thing, I feel like an angel was washing over me.
1: Well, clearly there were, there were time after time after time. But I know the listeners would love to, they, they want to know some of the details. And when you were able to finally make your way home after this, and you talked about how your grandmother took in the children of her. Uh, She she had several husbands who unfortunately died, that you were part of a large family. But sadly, when you got home and made it back to your village. When when I went home,
2: I remember I knocked on the door and the door opens and the stranger opens. Who are you? So I told him that I live here. Slend the door in my face, standing on the sidewalk. No place to go. And I don't know how, but I went to a place. I went, it was a hospital for the right place. I don't know how I wind up over there because like my leg was hurt. Mm-hmm. And I wind up in the right place because it was several individuals like myself coming back from different locations, and that's how I turn back to the normal life. And like I said, it's very difficult for me to to find uh, the reality. It's difficult because because somehow an angel was watching over me to send me to the right place and find different people. I find lots of people coming from different locations. And something was every day was watching the the wall. The wall was like bulletin board. And one day I see Steve Freeman was showed up. Steve Freeman, no way home. Steve Freeman, that's my brother.
1: And I was so excited. And so you like everyone else was looking at these bulletin boards trying to find information about family members exactly so Steve Friedman's coming home your brother and yet tell us the rest
2: It was very very excited I was preparing save some food I didn't know what shape, for him he will be when he arrives and when finally the time came Steve Friedman arrived but he was not, not but a namesake. Mm. He was not, not, wasn't my brother. He wasn't uh, just a namesake. It mm. was a, was a, a disappointment. Mm.
0: What happened to your family, Henry, while you were away and you, you finally made it back to your village? What What was the news that you were in, in, encountered with?
2: My father, mother, sister, they were taking forced labor probably wind up in Auschwitz, but Steve, my brother, he was march, marching towards, toward Russia, and uh, and he, he died on the way to Russia uh, forced labor, so the Steve Freeman who showed up, it was uh, just a namesake.
0: Mm. Did you ever find out what happened to your mother and your sister? Or was it just left a guess?
2: I don't know. No concrete mm. information. They just died, just like that. They had the other six million. Mm.
0: So when you finally made it home, how did you make it to Italy? What was that journey like?
2: It's kind of fussy. Like I said, when I arrived home and... Uh, a stranger opened the door, and I told them to leave there. And we can kind not a fist fight, but struggles slammed the door. And when I find out that I have no fish over there, I find out that I should leave. Mm. I should leave the country. I should go someplace and start someplace, a new, new life. That's how I wind up.
0: In Italy. What made you decide Italy, out of all of the countries in the world, why Italy?
2: It was two fellows. I don't know who they were. And uh, two very, very bright young men, sharply dressed. And uh, the aim was to to save Jewish lives, mm-hmm. to take them to Aliyah, to take them to sell to Israel. But I find uh, an uncle lived in Israel that um, and uh, he said that uh, he's a mechanic and he, he's a, luckily he's a part of the he started the union and he told me, okay but if I have a choice not to come to Israel so in Israel I mean he easily find out that maybe I should look some other place to go and then, then to go to Israel mm-hmm. because I don't, don't want to be bitter about it but, but the Polish people, the Polish Jews, they went through so many, so many bad things. Mm. And they can stick together. <laughs> and they didn't like the Hungarian Jews.
0: They did not like the Hungarian they like, Jews?
2: The, the Polish Jews figured that the Hungarian Jews are weaklings. Really? That's right.
0: Why did and, they feel that way? You know,
2: the, the, the Polish Jews had a hard time, long, long time. What the Hungarian Jews they live fairly comfortable life and the Polish Jews cannot resent resented it mm. cannot resent it and and I felt all all to the life all to my lifetime that that I'm not equal to them that I'm that that not as tough they are and not that worth mm. to be, to to be t- uh, treated the same way like. Let's say I, I, I was. I felt like I felt like a, a worthless individual, mm. worthless.
0: How by, did by, you by,
2: by, by, by all people, by all the same Jews?
0: How, throughout your life, you know, being constantly persecuted and looked down on by other groups of people, how did you yourself keep from becoming that way and not getting rigid or resentful, but keeping a, a peaceful demeanor within yourself?
2: I tried to. I thought, you see, I, number one, I learned Yiddish mm-hmm. in Italy. And the Polish Jews spoke Yiddish all the time. That There was a mother tongue. So to be able to better myself, I had to learn Yiddish. Mm-hmm. To be fairly, to understand what's going on, and to be accepted.
0: Yeah. But for somebody who's been through everything that you have... Nobody would deny you feeling very angry or resentful or bitter. And my experience of you is that you don't feel that way. You you seem at peace. How how did you keep that peace within yourself and not become angry or resentful?
2: I tried to realize it. The, the main thing, to stay afloat, to look forward for, for tomorrow mm. and make the best of today.
0: When you were growing up as a teenager, what was going on in the country... Um in terms of attitudes towards Jewish people or just culturally, that you think what was brewing that allowed what ended up happening that we now call the Holocaust, what was brewing before that allowed those events to take place
2: I don't know. I think that some of their lives became more more and more difficult to to live-
0: mm-hmm. do you remember as a child people being um, hateful towards Jewish people? Do you remember small things brewing that led to this big huge event?
2: The event was always uh, culminated mm-hmm. around Eastern time. Eastern time was always we had to be very very uh, careful mm-hmm. because like anti-Semitism yeah. existed all the time and uh, and uh, fable was when around East Eastern time when the the Jews killed the Gentile girl and put their blood in when they made the matzos.
1: So, what you're referring to, Henry, to for the for the clarity of, of mm-hmm. the listeners, is the the myth, the the idea of the um, the blood libel, and that that um, yeah. a myth that had gone back hundreds and thousands of years in Europe is what Henry's referring to is that in Europe there was this myth that Jews, uh, an ingredient in matzo was made from the Blood of uh, of Gentile children—that um, is a uh, uh, an, an obvious myth, um, but a is nonetheless lie an, it. and a heinous lie. Um, but nonetheless, that is something that was perpetuated mm. um, uh, throughout the time. And so, when he refers to around the Easter Passover time, that is Jews are eating the matzah. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, this this this. Um, Charge this anti-Semitic charge would mm-hmm. constantly be brought up throughout Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it goes back to a, you know an unfortunate incident where a child disappeared around the springtime, mm-hmm. um, th- well over a thousand years ago. But nonetheless, a, a myth, a, right. a myth, a lie. Um, but for those who lived in Europe, it's one thing for us, you know, in you know today to talk about that. But, but what Henry testifies to is that that would come up again in the anger that would be unleashed mm. at the Jews right. who were just trying to observe Passover mm-hmm. to eat the unleavened bread, the matzah, mm-hmm. um, to try and think that there was the blood of any human being mm-hmm. in it, much less um, uh, you know singling out a, a child of a particular religion yeah. is, um, is is just an inconceivable lie, but it created anti-Semitic yeah. um, violence yeah. on a regular basis. Yeah. Kind of similar to Mary Fagan? Well, in Atlanta, um, you know, again, there was this um, anti-Semitic um, incident around the Leo Frank case where yeah, exactly. um, yeah. there was a child who was killed and the, um, not to really the obvious, but a suspect was Leo Frank, a Jew. Mm-hmm. And that there were those who said, again, um, we don't know who could be the who could be the culprit, but they singled out Leo Frank, a Jewish worker here in Atlanta, um, he was um, he was in prison, and a lynch uh, a lynching party came and took him out of um, prison, brought him to Marietta Square uh, here in Atlanta, Really? and he was lynched. Excuse me. And even that,
2: he, he the governor of, of Georgia pardoned him. Wow! But, but he were taken taking out to Marietta and to be hanged.
0: What year was this?
1: 1915. Wow.
0: Nineteen
1: fifteen. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll take that. I'm, I'm just not sure of the year at the moment, but uh, uh, we, we, we can check it in a minute with, uh, with the device. Uh, mm-hmm. A uh, fact easily, check. <laughs> a fact check. Yes, we will pause wow. for fact check. Yeah.
0: Rabbi Press, I'd like to hear your opinion on this too. You know, being so educated, and, and Henry's as well. I'm, you know, we talked about why you tell your story, and because it mustn't be forgotten, and we don't want anything like this to ever happen again. Exactly. <laughs>
2: right.
0: So I'm interested to talk about. You know, there was people, you know, we can clearly see two sides of the story. There's people who were being persecuted in this situation. It was the Jewish people. And then there were people that were really the persecutors, you know. But then there's this group of people in that period of time and today that I think people don't remember. And it's the people that just didn't have an opinion either way. You know, and there's um, a school of thought that if you're not against something, then you're silently for it. So I want to talk about what was going on then and now, you know, for the people that are seeing things that are going on in whatever situation it is, but don't really say anything, um, you know, how they're contributing towards, you know, the, uh, towards the end goal, which in this situation was, you know, the persecu- persecution of uh, an entire group of people.
1: Certainly. Um, you know, Henry's story serves as, uh, as just one of millions, mm. literally millions of cautionary tales um and unfortunately we don't have the other six million who died during the holocaust um, to add their voices to this but to to answer your question that it is easy to talk about who are the targets and victims of nazis or or any other hate group in the world Um, it is uh, a bit easier as well to talk about um, who are the perpetrators and who are their collaborators But you ask a really good question, is that what about the bystanders Mm -hmm. and that in something that when I sit and talk to uh, survivor after survivor and there is no, there are those who would suggest that there is moral neutrality in the bystander. The bystander is not choosing sides, but when there is evil right in front Mm -hmm. of you that that you are making a moral choice Mm -hmm. not to do something. Yeah. That if you see a drowning person in a pool in front of you and say, I'm going to remain neutral, Mm. (laughs) you can't be called neutral in that particular case. A
0: hundred percent. And I would say that's another form of somebody being privileged. If you're privileged above a situation where you don't have to get involved and you won't be persecuted for not getting involved, that's Mm -hmm. you exercising your privilege. Um, and I just want to know what, what was going on in, in in Europe at that time for, you know, people who were bystanders, you know, what, what was going on where they noticed things where they could have said something, but they didn't, that ended up leading towards something like the Holocaust. Like if those bystanders had maybe been more educated or more empowered to say something would, would we have had the history that we've had?
1: so again a a great question the what we find is that you know what were the what were the roots of the holocaust and the roots of the holocaust are rooted in several things Um, Mm -hmm. history history meaning um, the world was coming out of the economic depression and so that there was rampant unemployment that there were people who were starving around the world Mm -hmm. now again there are people who are starving today there are people unemployed today that doesn't give one the right, and it doesn't also set up what happened um, in Europe. The nature of European anti-Semitism versus anti-Semitism around the world had a very different nature mm-hmm. that you had seen um, throughout history of the, throughout the history of Europe. Um, the interest in labeling Jews. The Jews throughout Europe had um, throughout European history had had to wear identifying marks at different times. Mm-hmm. The Jews had been expelled from their villages and towns um, in a variety of countries from from Spain to Germany um, uh, to to all the countries of Europe. So so the fact that the Jew could be treated as the other, um, mm. that the Jew could be labeled, yeah. um, that some of the roots in some of these myths and lies rooted in religion as well, um, going back to, um, again, this, the, the libel that we talked about, the, the lie around the matzah, around certain other very prominent Mm -hmm. religious figures who labeled the Jews devils Mm -hmm. and evil. So once you have said the person can't live here, that they can be expelled, that they can be labeled, Mm -hmm. that they can be evil, these were predisposing factors to then in the 30s to say this other who is in our midst, who is responsible for all of this, we want them kicked out, Mm -hmm. we want them uh, hurt, we want them killed. And so, um, again, there, there is a very clear spectrum to this. And what we need to try and make sure that doesn't happen in this world again is that people are never labeled the other, that people exactly. are never dehumanized mm-hmm. in the way. The story that Henry tells us, um, a human being should never be treated that way. Mm-hmm. If someone is less than human, it makes it a lot easier to treat them that exactly. way. And as much as that sounds like a semantic sentence... How can you treat a human less than human? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what happened. That's very true.
0: Well, you know, if if um, those people who were bystanders were empowered or educated enough not to believe the propaganda that was happening in the countries, you know, I know when I was very honoured that you gave me a private tour of the Bremen Museum a couple of weeks ago. That. We were looking at some of you know the artifacts and things that really happened in history. One thing that stands out to me was the books that were coming into schools for young children to read, and they were books that were completely aimed towards being against Jewish people and and telling horrible lies about them. You know, if I guess the point I'm trying to make or really understand is that why did people who were Reading those, not go hold on a minute, this isn't right, mm-hmm. and standing up against it, like you know, there's lots going on in today's political climate that so many people are standing up and saying, okay, this, I'm not the one they're persecuting, but this is not right, and I'm going to stand up for it. Why do you think there was not more of that going on in you know night, late '30s in in Germany and in Europe? I,
1: again, it's a, a wonderful question that Europe was was predisposed to this. To this hate, it was primed. It was so
0: brought down through history that it was just normal. Yeah,
1: that's exactly right. Now, in in Germany, which was a very enlightened country, let's not mistake that. um, But as a series of laws, and that's why in in a democracy, Mm -hmm. and in you know in a free democracy, we have to be careful about protecting all people Mm -hmm. and that what you found is that as soon as the nazis came to power that there are those who say when did the holocaust begin for 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 us and for many museums around the world the answer is january of 1933 as soon as hitler came to power Mm -hmm. they passed laws they passed laws that jews couldn't be in the civil service that jews um, Mm -hmm. couldn't own property that jews couldn't be in schools. Um, that uh, the judiciary had to swear allegiance to Hitler. And so you have but, all of these factors. Please, Henry. I, I think
2: it was started even before, before the Versailles Treaty when they put lots of restrictions on the Germans and they had to pay... Very high tax, and that's how the anti-Semitism. The, the Jews were involved because uh, because the Jews. Were
1: <laughs> no, no, no! I understand what you're that the Treaty of Versailles imposed a terrible burden on the German society. That exactly. when, when the Allies yes, defeated right. Germany in World War One, Germany was forced to de- disarm. Mm-hmm. That who Germany made, was
0: who made Germany sign the Treaty of Versailles? I've forgotten was it who, Russia and England
1: or well, the, um, it, it was England. It was uh, it was it was France. Um, um, I would have to, you know, this in this particular afternoon, as you're asking me the question. I want to be careful not mm-hmm. to put myself on record for putting the wrong parties in there. But, I
0: my grandmother's a history teacher; and she's going to smack my wrist for not remembering <laughs> who it
1: was. But but the but the point is is that that Henry points out is that again another predisposing factor mm. is that um, there's a world economic depression, but also Germany has been humiliated right. in right. in World War One with with the Treaty of Versailles, and that you have an opportunity. Mm-hmm where you then, against all the treaty, all the uh, protocols of the treaty under Hitler, mm-hmm. um, Germany decides to rearm itself. That when you put the, the factories back to work, creating tanks, creating guns, creating everything for the war effort, mm-hmm. rebuilding this military, mm-hmm. that put people back to work. Right. If you put, take all the Jews out of the way, that creates even more jobs for these people. So again, Hitler, I won't call Hitler dumb, I won't call him brilliant, but by doing what he did- It was strategic. It was strategic and it it created an opportunity to scapegoat the Jewish people. The Jewish Mm. people in Germany were less than 1% of the population. That there were 500,000 people Mm. in Germany. So to say that they were the ones who were controlling all this. Again, this idea that the Jews were in control. There was another thing that was that was circulated throughout mm-hmm. the world, uh, a document called The Protocols of the Elders of Zion. A work by the Russian secret police, a, f- a fictional work, to show that the Jews, supposedly, were trying to take over the world. And it was mm-hmm. a document, a few pages, that were the, the minutes of a meeting mm-hmm. that some people, they could have been in Hollywood to write this, that produced this, that showed the plan for the Jews to take over the world. Right. It is a documented, proven hoax. Yet it was translated into language after mm. language. It was in France. It was in England. It was in America that this was translated and circulated mm. so that people would become aware. Yeah. And your your listeners can't see the the air quotes aware <laughs> of the of the the plot for the Jews to take over the world. So so Germany under Hitler created a system where legally there was no recourse, no opportunity for the Jews to fight back in right. a legal manner. Um, to fight back with arms, likewise, mm. would have amounted to nothing. There are foolish people who say if the Jews had had guns in Germany, well, they could have fought back. Um, fought back against an entire army yeah, 1% sitting army of the rest
0: of the
1: 99%. That's exactly right. And that 1% by the way includes children, men, right. women, the elderly. Even if you armed every single person from 6 months of age to 90 years of age, the math is is indeni- undeniable. Yeah. So, you know, how this could happen what, what this is is again is a cautionary tale about mm treating someone less than human yeah. about about creating lies that aren't challenged in the public sphere yeah. um, it is about you know defending the truth whether it is it comfortable for you or not the truth was in, in Germany that Jews like all other minorities mm-hmm. Germany attacked homosexuals they attacked people um, from other countries they attacked people who were communists socialists mm-hmm. um, these people just wanted to be good German citizens. In our museum, we have had speakers whose families had lived in Germany for hundreds of years, mm. had fought in World War I, were award-winning soldiers who won the Iron Cross in World War I. Mm. And yet... They were a Jew, persecuted and they,
0: in World War II, yeah. and they
1: were persecuted as World War II came along, and so, uh, and again, even before you know the, the full declaration of war, you know, arrested on Kristallnacht in 1938, and thrown into concentration camps yeah. simply because they were a Jew, and in one case that I can tell you, a uh, someone, a local Atlanta survivor, but for the fact that they had a paper attesting to the fact mm-hmm. that they did win this award in mm-hmm. World War One. They would have been in that camp, but they right. were let go because the Nazis didn't know what to do. It was a mm-hmm. it, it, they were they were stuck. You're a Jew, you're less than human. You're what you're holding a paper that says you're an award winning uh, German soldier. What do we do? And what they basically said is get out, mm-hmm. walk home. Mm-hmm. And so, um, again, when we hear people like Henry, who is who is such a, a wonderful man, um, you know, what we see is how can you but Huh? He But he is still here. He is still here. He is yeah. still Henry's here. still
2: in the room. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but I, it's, it's, I see a lot of par- parallel between the gypsies and Jews. Mm-hmm. Lots of parallel.
0: What no, are some of those parallels you see?
2: Nobody knows from where the gypsies come from. Mm-hmm. gypsy is coming from northern India. Mm-hmm. A gypsy never owned the land. And whenever you say gypsy, it's always also like a put down. Mm. So at let's say lots of parallel parallel between gypsies and Jews.
1: Mm-hmm. And there, that is true. The, the 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 Roma, the Sinti, otherwise known as as the Sinti or Roma, Sinti Roma, right? Otherwise known as gypsies, um, are, are you know have nomadic tendencies. The Jews have been very nomadic because we have been kicked out from country to country, and exactly. not seen yeah. as um, members of these countries. But that is that is false, that, yeah. that, that Jews are I, happy to live in these countries. But the, the Jews wasn't allowed to own the land. Mm. And yes, and, and these laws would create the situation, as Henry points out, that so Jews, while they would be happy to be members of any of the countries throughout Europe, but when there are laws that say you can't own the land, then how can we be permanent yeah. citizens of this country? And where citizenship depended on land ownership, yeah. it's it's a catch twenty two. It's a circular mm-hmm. argument.
0: We talked, you know, about how the country was set up for its people to accept this, you know, situation and this event to happen.
2: Would never been accepted. Would have been tolerated.
0: Right. But for people that were bystanders that didn't actively right. fight against right. it, yeah. You know the. It, it feels like history before that made these people quite malleable in order to just, as you said, tolerate it or be told, you know, this is happening and not really fight back. Why do you think the Jewish people are so persecuted throughout history? We, we talked at the beginning that they're God's chosen people and we know factually that Jewish people are fantastic in every sector of life. But why is there this constant persecution for this one group of people?
1: Well, well, well. I would say hopefully Jews are as successful as any other people, um, and, and fail at things just as much as any other people. Um, that this this history goes back um, really about two thousand years, in mm. that um, when you look at the history of Europe, um, Europe which was very very influenced by Christianity, mm. and that. Um, for, for some of the uh, the leaders of the church, whether it be the, the, the Protestant church or the Catholic church, um, that at different times there were moral lapses mm-hmm. um, from these individuals, that um, certain pieces of history uh, going back to the time of Jesus were um, interpreted to the negative for the Jews, the term Christ killers, mm-hmm. and that uh, for a, a deeply religious people to kill um, to kill Jesus, to kill the Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, for a Christian people, that is the ultimate in, um, in crimes. To label the Jews as evil right. uh, in these terminologies. Um, again, dehumanizes them. Literally, evil. Mm-hmm. When you think about what evil is. Evil is demonic. Right. Evil is something other than human. Mm-hmm. So to use these words... In the settings in which they were used yeah. is very different than the 20th and the 21st century where someone's called evil we have heard terrorists called evil mm-hmm. it's a metaphor right. that we've heard of people who bomb certain things or shoot up um mm-hmm. you know we, we have we have in america in particular have people who um, go on shooting rampage and they're called evil mm-hmm. again it's a metaphor It is not something Mm -hmm. that comes from satan and the devil Um, and for those who believed in that in the medieval europe Mm -hmm. this created someone who was an evil
2: Mm -hmm.
1: unlike the way we use it today and so that was just one more way to dehumanize um, and and to really make the jew the other throughout that european history Mm -hmm. and then when you see that person as someone who is so evil. Yeah. And throughout the world, whether it be um, uh, burning at the stake um, for people who are considered witches, where we look today and say, you know, in America, how could people be burned because they were considered witches? Right. Um, but it happened.
0: Well, you put enough fear in people, they'll do anything. As a religious man yourself, would you consider yourself spiritual as well?
1: I would consider, as a rabbi, I would consider myself spiritual.
0: So do you give credit to... You know, literal dark versus light. What other people would call evil versus good.
1: I, I believe it is as Judaism believes that, that humanity. Judaism believes that all human beings are born with uh, a good impulse mm-hmm. and an evil impulse inside mm-hmm. of us. Um, it's called the Yetzer HaTov and the Yetzer Hara, the good and the evil impulse. And it is up to us mm-hmm. to choose which one that we are. No one that we are born a blank slate. Judaism doesn't believe we're born with original sin on us. But after that, it is our choice whether we um, give in mm-hmm. to an evil inclination, a bad inclination, perhaps by a better use of the word, or, uh, or we foster a good inclination. Mm-hmm. And that when we feel that we are moved out of a moment of anger to do something that we consider less than worthy of ourselves, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean we're a bad person. It means we're a human being right. who's moved to anger. Um, I have heard so many wonderful religious leaders of all faiths say you know um to use the metaphor turn the other cheek but it's hard yeah. and i don't want to and i have heard popes say it yeah. I've, I've heard um that i've heard uh to the to without quoting the dalai lama say that mm-hmm. people of all faiths and i believe that judas believes we have both inclinations in yeah. us when i look at the history of what we've been talking about today. Europe gave into the evil inclination, Mm. the bad inclination. They could have just as easily gone with the good inclination. Um, When I'm, and we all get angry, I have a choice. Do I want to lash out Mm -hmm. and give into my lesser inclinations? Or do I want to take the high road and foster my good inclinations? But if I were to give into that, it means I failed at being a good person. But doesn't mean I'm a evil person or a bad person Mm. I gave into those other negative qualities in me
0: yeah Henry what do you think about that do you think there are people are ultimately good or there are some just purely evil people or that it's they're making a choice
2: people are ultimately good Mm. good yeah
0: and that when they do bad things they're making a choice to do exactly
2: yeah and and it's only temporary Mm. because I, I do believe people are good
0: have you forgiven the people that have hurt you in your life? Yes. How did you come to being able to do that?
2: Number one, it's very unproductive to carry hate. To carry hate, it, it can eat you up. You you won't find no peace, but carry hate. To forgive, yes, it's much easier. It's much more easier for me to accept and to forgive people mm. because maybe, maybe there was a moment when they were under some pressure but, they, but overall people are good mm.
0: What do you think in today's political climate people need to do especially the youth to make sure that something like the Holocaust never happens again What, what should young people focus on?
2: Young people should focus to make a better life for everybody mm-hmm. and don't look for the dark side the accentuate the better one the good side mm-hmm. it, it makes me feel good like t- today dorian is the uh, hurricane and you see that all people getting together mm-hmm. to help someone who less fortunate that makes me feel good
0: so community is really important that's right we must help that, each other that's right
2: what do you because think... you we, we are not isolated. Yeah. We are a brother's keeper.
0: What do you think the, the key to a happy life is?
2: The key to a happy life, like every morning when you get up to, how okay, can I make today a better life for everybody? Mm. That's the key.
0: That's amazing. Rabbi Pras, what do you think the key to a happy life is?
1: To, to a happy life, it's a, fan, it's, a it's a wonderful question. Um, I think it's seeing the, the good, the joy, to focus on um, what is good in this world. Mm-hmm. I, I you know I think we see a lot of um, bad things. Mm-hmm. I think we can focus on life is difficult. Mm-hmm. It is, um, and you can focus on the difficulty. You can focus on the happy things, the joy, mm-hmm. um, and, I, and I think that's very mm-hmm. um, very important.
0: Yeah. Yeah to you know love each other as we want to be loved and treated our ourself well what i'm going to take away from this conversation is is that you know history's happened but we have to move forward and henry i think you're such a phenomenal example of that you know of being able to just as you say survive and still be here is incredible and to be able to forgive the people that have hurt you and move forward and to be at peace is amazing and that to go forward the most important thing is to love everybody despite our differences know that peace is the ultimate goal and to me it's so important in my heart that you can't be a bystander it's not really acceptable anymore to be neutral you know things are so important you have to speak up for what is right and on that note i would love if you would read us a poem that's really important to me i first saw this poem in the Uh, Jewish Heritage Museum in Manhattan and it really really struck a chord with me and I think it sums up best how we need to work as a world so if you would read that for us Robert Press
1: I'd be honored certainly Uh, by Martin Niemöller first they came for the Jews and I did not speak up because I was not a Jew then they came for the communists and I did not speak out because I was not a communist then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. Hmm. This is a very moving poem, and I'm not sure of all the facts to yeah. it, but it does speak a great truth about how we have to stand up for each other, I Thank think sure. and I think yeah. you, you might agree to that as I well agree to that. Very good. Yeah, very good good. Well,
2: we, we are our, our, we are our brothers keepers. Indeed, indeed.
0: Amen. Well, Henry, I can't thank you enough for your time and for sharing your story. Thank you so much. It's been an honor. And thank you to you, Rabbi Prass. Uh,
1: My pleasure. Thank you. My pleasure. Always to sit with my friend Henry. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank
0: you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of let's be honest be sure to follow us across social media using the tag let's be honest the podcast tune in in two weeks time for a brand new special episode a very special thank you to our guests henry and rabbi press be sure to check out the bremen museum and the weinberg center for holocaust education in atlanta thanks bye